Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity titled, Understanding the Biological and Clinical Rationale for PARP Inhibitor Combinations as Potential Treatment for Prostate Cancer, is provided by Axis Medical Education and is supported by an independent medical education grant from Janssen Biotech Incorporated, administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs, LLC. This replay of a live broadcast focuses on clinical rationale for PARP inhibitor combinations as potential treatment for prostate cancer. And now, here's Dr. Adam. Hello, welcome to the talk, and I'll be talking about the PARP inhibitor combinations for treatment with, of patients with metastatic acid-resistant prostate cancer. Next slide. These are the disclaimers. These are my conflict of interest over my lifetime. I have none, no honorarium in the last two years, but I decided to include all of my consultancy fee and honorarium I have received during my lifetime. This includes the research monies to my institution. Next. I'll be talking about the metastatic CRPC and the role of PARP inhibitors as monotherapy briefly. And after that, I'll move towards discussing PARP inhibitor combinations, which have been a, a pretty uh, shifting area, if you will, of uh, conversation and presentations in the meetings and publications in the last one and a half years. And we'll discuss about some cases after that. Next slide. So we'll be discussing the PARP inhibitor combinations. Uh, and their data, safety data, and the efficacy data in patients with metastatic CRPC. Next slide. Next slide. So we know that multiple therapeutic targets have emerged in the last uh, five years, especially, against which many of the drugs have been developed and are being tested in multiple phase three trials. I'm talking about phase three, including Capivacerdib for P10 deficient tumors, uh, PARP inhibitors for uh, tumors with uh, homologous recombination repair mutations, and there are many more targets. Today, we'll, we'll be focusing on DNA repair pathways and the mutations involving those pathways. Next. So this is a snapshot of uh, how PARP inhibitors work. So PARP is a polyADP ribose polymerase enzyme which recognizes a defect or a break in the DNA and quickly repairs the break in the single strand by a process known as base excision repair, following which the break is repaired and DNA multiplication continues without any problems and it doesn't affect cell survival. Now let's look at this part of the picture, where we have inhibited PARP, and this DNA repair is not repaired. DNA break is not repaired by the PARP. However, at the next step, when this single strand break becomes double strand break with the next replication of the single strand, this portion, this double strand break is quickly repaired by homologous recombination repair and the cell survives. However, 
in patients who have deficiency in homologous recombination repair. So they are deficient in multiple proteins and or have mutations in the genes coding for those proteins, such as BRCA1, BRCA2, and many others. If they have deficient uh, deficiency in a homologous recombination repair and we inhibit their PARP, then there is no rescue mechanism. And the cell and the DNA tries to heal itself or repair itself, but it is all, it all by a ineffective mechanism not known as non-homologous end joining, which is not very efficient, and it leads to accumulation of double strand breaks, which leads to cell death. Now, in case of some other PARP inhibitors, such as talazoparib and many of some other PARP inhibitors as well, to varying degree, the PARP can be trapped regardless of other mechanisms on this repair site, on this break site, which leads to replication fork instability and can lead to cell death. So this is a snapshot of how PARP works and PARP inhibitors work. Next slide. This was a seminal publication about 10 years ago, which showed 11 to 12% patients harbor these defects, homologous recombination repair mutations in their germline DNA. Next slide. We also reported from more than 3,000 patients that a significant number of patients also harbor DNA repair mutations in these cancer cells known as somatic mutations as opposed to germline mutations as showed in the previous slide. So if you combine all these mutations, we see approximately 25% patients with MCRPC or I would say metastatic prostate cancer harboring these mutations. So there's a large number of patients who are harboring these mutations and are potential, potentially uh, patients for DNA repair or PARP inhibitors, which target DNA repair. Next slide. So let's look at the monotherapy data, or so PARP inhibitors when used as monotherapy. So I'll quickly summarize the data in this regard. Next slide. So we saw that OPARP A trial, it was a first trial testing uh, a PARP inhibitor Olaparib in, in, a, in patients with prostate cancer and showed that patients who had biomarker positivity, meaning they had DNA repair mutations, they had much longer, out, better uh, radiographic progression-free survival compared to patients who did not have DNA repair mutations. Then a validation happened with the profound phase three trial where we saw Olaparib convincingly showing superiority over the control arm of physician choice of novel hormonal therapy in patients who were progressing on a novel hormonal therapy. And this, this, this trial led to approval of Olaparib in our patients who have DNA repair mutations and they, are, they have disease progression in a normal, novel hormonal therapy. And then we saw data with uh, Rucaparib, very similar data, single agent. And please note that Rucaparib is currently approved for patients who have BRCA1, BRCA2 alterations, and they have had disease progression or prior therapy on novel hormonal therapy and chemotherapy with docetaxel. Triton 3 data 
showed that PARP inhibitor rucaparib was superior to docetaxel chemotherapy and novel hormonal therapy in patients with BRCA1 and BRCA2 mutations, but we have not seen the change in the label yet. And then we saw two phase two trials, single arm studies, showing niraparib and talazoparib, showing efficiency as far as patients with BRCA1 and BRCA2 alterations are concerned. And they also showed benefit in other mutations, but here is the data for BRCA1 and BRCA2 altered patients, eight month and 11 month of progression free survival with these two drugs. Next slide. So what is the rationale for combining PARP inhibitor with novel hormonal therapy? So can we move this PARP inhibition to upfront setting, to first-line MCRPC setting? Next slide. So here is the simplified version based on the preclinical rationale, preclinical data, which suggests that there could be synergy between PARP inhibitor and novel hormonal therapy. So to put it simply, when prostate cancer cells are targeted by novel hormonal therapy, so when we are inhibiting the AR, the PARP gets upregulated to rescue prostate cancer cells. On the other side, when we inhibit PARP, that leads to downregulation of androgen receptor because it seems to be dependent on PARP for this action. So there seem to be quite an interdependency, if you will, or crosstalk between the DNA repair pathway or PARP and the AR pathway. And this was based on these rationale. The trials were designed. The first trial was study eight, next slide, which was uh, published in 2018, about five years ago. This was a small trial, 150 patients progressing on docetaxel chemotherapy in MCRPC setting. No previous novel hormonal therapy exposure was allowed and patients were randomized to olaparib plus abiraterone versus abiraterone. Next slide. And we saw that patients benefited with the abiraterone plus olaparib combination, regardless of whether they had homologous recombination repair mutations or not. So we see benefit in both HRR mutation positive and HRR mutation negative patients. Although we can see here that patients who have HRR mutation positivity, they tend to have better efficacy with the combination. And this results led to multiple phase three trials. Next slide. And we can see here that these trials are the PROPEL trial, MAGNITUDE trial, TALAPRO2 trial, which all have been published, and the CASPAR trial, which is ongoing. There's a common theme among all these trials. These are all in first-line MCRPC setting. They are combining abiraterone or enzalutamide with a PARP inhibitor in case of uh, versus uh, abiraterone or talazoparib in the control arm. In case of uh, propellant magnitude, the PARP inhibitors are olaparib and niraparib with abiraterone. For talapro 2 it's a talazoparib with enzalutamide. And the ongoing CASPAR trial is using the combination of enzalutamide with rocaparib. So even though there are very similar trials, in the as far as metastatic CRPC setting is concerned, the design, there are subtle differences in the design and the study population. So let's look at the data from these trials. Next slide. So this is the design of the PROPEL trial. 
which is uh, randomizing patients to these two arms in front of you right now. Radiographic progression-free survival is the primary endpoint, and overall survival is the key secondary endpoint. Please note that Propel trial recruited patients, all comer patients, and did not do any an, uh, analysis or prospective analysis for presence or absence of HRR mutations before. They went back and looked at who had mutations or who did not. Also, the HRR status, homologous recombination repair mutation status, was not used in the as a stratification factor for randomization. So this was the major uh, highlight about the propelled trial design. Next slide. The baseline patient characteristics show that uh, patients were evenly balanced between the two arms as far as median PSA is concerned or site of metastasis is concerned or HRR status is concerned. Next slide. And please note that Propel trial included patients who were tested by ctDNA as well as tumor tissue. So we, when we saw the results presented by Dr. Fretzar in the GEOASCO 2022, we, we saw 34% reduction in risk of progression or death. So this risk of progression or death is included in the radiographic progression-free survival endpoint. The death doesn't mean overall survival here. And we can see here, there was a quite a difference in the radiographic progression-free survival with Olaparib with Abiraterone versus Abiraterone only. There was an eight-month difference. This is very similar to what we had seen before in the phase two trial. Next slide. If you look at the subgroup efficacy in this forest plot, the combination seemed to be superior in pretty much all subgroup of patients, regardless of whether they received docetaxel chemotherapy in the castration-sensitive state, or they had HRR mutation present or not, with the caveat that patients who had HRR mutations had much higher level of benefit with a hazard ratio of 0.50. Patients who did not have HRR mutations, the hazard ratio for benefit was 0.76. But all, all of the patients, all patients seem to be benefiting. Next slide. The response rates were also superior with the combination. Next. If you look at time to progression on subsequent therapy, uh, this is a this endpoint is considered a continuum to the overall survival. So we first see radiographic progression-free survival, then we see time to progression on next therapy, and then we see overall survival as the ultimate endpoint. So if you look at the continuation of these endpoints, all seem to be benefiting or favoring the combination of abiraterone plus olaparib. Next slide. The overall survival data were immature at the time of initial presentation, although trends were favoring the combination. Next. If you look at the side effects, I'd like to take a minute to discuss the side effects of PARP inhibitors in general. The hematologic side effects and the gastrointestinal side effects are the class effect. Pretty much all PARP inhibitors have these side effects. And I would like to bring your attention to the fact that this is an MCRPC population. Anemia is present in a large number of patients at baseline in this patient population. 
Accordingly, we see worsening of uh, these side effects. So patients have developed grade three, four anemia. Uh, some other uh, PARP inhibitors are associated with thrombocytopenia, but most of these occur within the first three, four months. So as long as, and they don't occur in all patients. So it is very important to start the PARP inhibitor dose at the standard dose, and then follow these patients closely say every 15 days with laboratory data, and to, to, rec uh, to recognize which patients are going to develop grade three or four toxicities, and then only reduce those in those patients. If we do that, most of these patients are able to tolerate PARP inhibitor quite well after that initial three to four month period. We can also see that nausea, vomiting, diarrhea are also quite common with PARP inhibitors, but these side effects are not consistently present at the same frequency on all PARP inhibitors. Some PARP inhibitors have more hematologic toxicity and less GI side effects, and some PARP inhibitors have some unique side effects such as hypertension for niraparib, and I'll show you those data in a moment. But the bottom line is all these side effects are easily manageable, and patients can be conservatively treated for pretty much all these side effects and only a very small number of patients have to discontinue PARP inhibitors for these side effects. So with that discussion, I will continue to show you the side effects of these PARP inhibitors in a more succinct fashion with the same message. Next slide, please. We always worry about uh, cardiovascular events, especially when we saw those events happening in this smaller trial. Uh, of uh, study eight with olaparib with abiraterone in a more heavily treated patients. And we did not see actually a major incidence of cardiac failure or arterial thromboembolic events. In this trial, actually, there was no higher incidence of thrombo thromboembolic events comprising arteries, uh, involving arteries in this trial. There were numerically higher ven venous thromboembolic events. But we also want to remember that these patients were on the combination for longer time, eight months longer. Uh, as far as radiographic progression T-survival is concerned, it was longer with the abiraterone olaparib arm. So this is not time-adjusted incidence. So we can see, yes, thromboembolic events are higher uh, in the veins, and it is possibly because these patients were undergoing CT scans every three months. So a lot of incidental thromboembolic events were likely being diagnosed in these patients. And we all know uh, the oncologists are very well versed with thromboembolic events and how to treat them. With the novel agents, it is very much more easy to treat these patients without having to do PTINR PT on a regular basis. Next slide. So overall safety profile of uh, olaparib was quite favorable to the combination. We can see here, as I said before, if you look at the discontinuation of olaparib plus versus placebo in the combination versus control arm, 13.8% patients discontinued olaparib, 7.8% patients discontinued placebo, and they likely thought it was it's a blinded trial, so investigators were thinking it was likely because of olaparib. But if you deduct the incidence of discontinuation of because of placebo, we are seeing in true fashion, olaparib was being discontinued in about 8% patients or less. 
So, so most patients seem to be tolerating allopurinol pretty well. Next slide. And the quality of life, which I think is the sum of efficacy and toxicity, was maintained with the combination. So no concerns here. Next slide. So Propel investigators concluded that benefit was present regardless of HRR status, and overall survival trends were favorable, and quality of life was maintained. Next slide. We saw the overall survival data being updated. This was the final overall survival data. And even though there was a, a strong trend of about eight-month improvement in overall survival, it did not meet the pre-specified criteria for statistical significance. So we did not see statistically significant improvement in overall survival. But in my experience, this was for the first time the overall survival reached the 40-month mark in the first-line MCRPC setting. So definitely an encouraging news for our patients. Next slide. Based on these data, uh, next slide. We can skip this one. Uh, next slide. Uh, this one is good. So we saw that FDA approved Olaparib with abiraterone for, for patients with MCRPC who harbor BRCA1 and BRCA2 mutations, regardless of which line of MCRPC is there. So first line, second line, third line didn't specify. The label doesn't say, label doesn't say first line, actually. And why only BRCA1 and BRCA2? And I think a uh, few issues which I've heard is that uh, there was no prospective uh, assessment of the homologous recombination repair mutations, and they were not used as a stratification factor in randomization, thus making the trial less rigorous than what you would expect. So FDA decided to, uh, ODAC and FDA decided to approve the drug for BRCA1 and BRCA2 patients. So now we have abiraterone plus olaparib combination available for MCRPC patients who have not been, sorry, who have not had disease progression on ANHT and uh, who are candidate for abiraterone. So anybody who is a candidate for abiraterone and harbor these mutations, they are potentially candidate for treatment with uh, abiraterone plus olaparib. Next slide. So let's look at the magnitude trial. So magnitude trial was another phase three trial with a different combination, as we can see here. And there were actually two trials happening in one trial. So the magnitude investigators, Dr. Kim Chi and team, uh, decided to have two distinct group of patients. And they were homologous recombination repair mutated patients, so patients who have HRR positivity and patients who did not have HRR positivity and all of them had prospective tissue testing done. And uh, these patients were randomized to the combination arm versus the control arm of abiraterone. Please note that in the HRR negative patients, the accrual was halted after 200 patients because investigators felt based on mostly PSA progression that the combination is not effective. They did not necessarily halted the accrual in this cohort in the biomarker negative cohort based on radiographic progression. So this trial stopped here for HRR negative patients and will not be talking about these patient population in this trial from now onwards. Now, HRR positive patients, the radiographic progression-free survival was the primary endpoint. Next slide. If you look at the... Uh, 
HR are negative patients. We didn't see benefit, as I just said, so we will just uh, not discuss about this HR are negative cohort. Next slide. If you look at the HRR positive patients, uh, we can see here that patients were evenly distributed. Most of the mutations, because this is a randomized trial, there was an even distribution of uh, hemoglobin patients with low hemoglobin, or if you look at uh, other uh, prognostic factors such as lactate dehydrogenase, presence of visceral metastasis, uh, baseline PSA, all seem to be equally distributed in these two arms. Next slide. If you look at the primary endpoint of radiographic progression-free survival, uh, the primary endpoint was RPFS by central review, and it favored the combination R. There was a six-month improvement with aviratiron plus niraparib versus aviratiron. Next slide. We see that um, all HRR-positive patients, so if you go beyond BRCA1 and BRCA2, if you look at all HRR patients in this trial, there was a four-month improvement in uh, uh, radiographic progression-free survival with a 25% reduction in risk of progression with the combination versus abiratiron. Next. If you look at the subgroup analysis, this forest plots tells you that uh, all subgroups seem to be benefiting in the HRR-positive patient group. Next slide, please. If you look at overall survival data, we don't see any detriment uh, of the overall survival with the combination. Our data are immature right now, but we don't see any, any difference so far. Next slide, please. If you look at the adverse events, we again see the same class effect, anemia, thrombocytopenia, but the median relative dose intensity was quite high in the combination arm. Only if you look at the discontinuation because of niraparib or placebo, we are seeing 10.8% or 4.7% discontinuation in the niraparib or placebo. So which basically means in my interpretation, that about 5% patients, 5 to 6% patients were discontinuing niraparib because of side effects. Please note that niraparib dose was reduced by 33% because of side effects when it was combined with abiratin. So we already are dealing with a reduced dose of niraparib in this trial, and that seemed to be pretty well tolerated while maintaining efficacy. Next slide. If you look at the side effects, we see anemia, thrombocytopenia, neutropenia are common side effects. Grade three side effects are uh, not as common as grade one or two, but they all respond to the dose reduction in a timely fashion. And as I said, most of the dose reduction happen in first three, four months. And um, as long as we can reduce the dose in a timely fashion, patients seem to be tolerating well. As we saw that only 5% patients had to discontinue niraparib because of dose, uh, because of toxicities. Hypertension and cardiovascular side effects seem to be a unique aspect of uh, niraparib, especially grade three hypertension. But we all know, uh, I know uh, the viewer here is an experienced uh, group of oncology providers. So hypertension uh, can be easily managed in the clinic, but this seems to be a somewhat more unique side effect or more exclusive side effect of niraparib. Next slide. 
So to conclude, magnitude trials showed benefit of the combination in uh, HRR positive patients. And uh, BRCA1 and BRCA2 patients tend to have more benefit over other HRR positive patients. Next slide. So if you look at the comparison of these two trials, and of course, across the trial comparisons are not ideal, but we all are doctors, providers, we see our patients, and we are trying to see which combination to use. I think whenever we are using abiraterone and patient is uh, uh, harboring one of those mutations, we definitely have to keep in mind that uh, now the olaparib plus abiraterone and niraparib plus abiraterone combinations are available now for these patients and they can be used. Uh, although propel-based combinations seem to have an edge over the magnitude-based combination. But as I said, none of these patients were allowed to be exposed to abiraterone in the metastatic castration sensitive prostate cancer setting. In the magnitude trial, a brief duration of exposure to abiraterone was allowed. Up to four months of exposure to abiraterone was allowed. So I'm not sure if the difference in patient population could have resulted in slightly uh, diminished efficacy with the combination of abiraterone plus neraparib. But as I said, I'm just showing it for the sake of discussion and not for use in the clinic. Uh, next slide. Let's look at the TALA-PRO2 data. So TALA-PRO2 trial was a third trial, was a third trial in this setting using the novel combination of enzalutamide plus talazoparib versus enzalutamide. Primary endpoint was radiographic progression-free survival by independent radiology assessment. And there were two components of TALA-PRO2 trial. The first component, 800 patients, were all comer patients. So they did not have to have HRR mutations. With a big difference from the PROPEL trial, all these patients had to have prospective tissue testing done before they enrolled on the trial. In fact, 100% patients had prospective tissue testing done. And second, HRR status was a stratification factor in the randomization. And stratification factor basically makes sure that a given variable is evenly distributed in both arms. And there is no overrepresentation of one of these factors in one arm just by chance. Then there was a second component of TALAPRO2 trial, which, include, which focused on HRR-positive patients. And that included 169 patients from the first cohort and 230 patients, so total 400 patients, 399 patients to be precise, who had HRR mutations. So I'll first discuss the results of the all-comer patient population. Next slide. As we can see, the baseline disease characteristics and demographics were similar. It was a randomized trial. This is what we expect. Next slide. The, as I said, 100% patients had tumor tissue testing done. And in addition, about a small number of patients also had circulating tumor DNA testing. But 100% patients had tumor tissue testing done before they enrolled on the trial. And not surprisingly, we saw the most common mutations are the ones we always knew from our previous studies, BRCA2, CDK12, ATM, CHECK2, BRCA1, and some other uncommon, relatively uncommon mutations. Next slide. 
So let's look at the primary endpoint. First, there was a 37% reduction in risk of progression or death with the combination in all comer population. Next slide. It seemed the combination seemed to be benefiting regardless of Gleason score, de novo disease, HRR status, prior docetaxel or aviraterone given in castration sensitive setting. In fact, with the small caveat of small sample size, patient who received uh, these drugs seem to be benefiting quite well uh, with the combination arm. Uh, patients with HRR mutations seem to be benefiting, but who did not have mutation also seem to be benefiting, as I will show you in a more elaborate fashion in a second. Next slide. If you look at the uh, radiographic progression free survival in patients who were HRR deficient, so any homologous recombination or permutations, there was a 55% reduction in risk of progression or death. It's quite remarkable to see this kind of benefit with a combination. Now, next slide, I will show you the HRR negative patient by prospective tumor tissue testing. So these patients were, did not have any HRR deficiency by prospective tumor tissue testing, which is considered gold standard for testing. And even in those patients, we see 34% reduction in risk of progression or death with the combination arm. Next. Overall survival data are immature right now with only 31% maturity. So we cannot say much about the overall survival, but at least we don't see any downward trend and it seemed to be favorable to the combination arm. Next slide. If you look at time to PSA progression, there was a 10-month improvement in PSA progression with the combination versus enzalutamide. Next slide. If you look at the time to chemotherapy, which is a very meaningful endpoint to our patients, or time to progression on next subsequent therapy, they all seem to be favoring the combination. Next. If you look at response rates, complete response were present in 37% patients with the combination and only 18% patients in the, with the enzalutamide. And please note that BRCA2 patients were only 5% or 5.6%. So complete responses are happening in patients way beyond BRCA2 or BRCA1 mutations. Next slide. If you look at the side effects, as I said, anemia is a hallmark of MCRPC setting. So 49% patients had grade one or two anemia at baseline. Now, grade two anemia is nine gram percent. And this trial allowed actually patients who could have up to grade two anemia or a hemoglobin of nine gram percent to enroll on the trial. So almost half of the patients are grade one or two anemia. Once they started the treatment, after a median duration of 3.3 months, 46% patients developed grade three or four anemia. And grade three is hemoglobin of eight gram percent. So many of these patients required a one-point drop in hemoglobin to reach the grade three level. However, protocol mandated dose reduction or transfusion once hemoglobin reached grade three. So these patients underwent protocol, protocol mandated dose reduction. And after that, they seem to be tolerating talazoparib quite well because only 8.3% patients decreased or discontinued talazoparib due to anemia. And the median relative dose intensity of talazoparib remained more than 80% in this trial. So what this data tell me that hematologic side effects seem to be more common with talazoparib. 
They mostly occur in first three, four months. And recognition of those grade three, four side effects is important because they do pretty well after dose reduction. And first, looks like most of them only had to decrease, decrease the dose by one level because the median relative dose intensity is quite high. We all also see one more unique or different aspect of talazoparib that gastrointestinal side, GI side effects, don't seem to be as common with talazoparib. And in my view, nausea, vomiting, uh, and diarrhea, and other GI side effects seem to be more associated with uh, quality of life issues versus these hematologic side effects, which can be easily managed by dose reduction. Regardless, the common message here is recognition of side effects is important early on, and they, most patients can be managed very conservatively, symptomatically, without discontinuing the PARP inhibitor in vast majority of patients. Next slide. I'll go through the, uh, and these were again, a summary of adverse events. Uh, pulmonary embolism, as we have discussed in the past, were reported in 2.5% patients versus 0.7% patients. And please remember, these patients were on the combination for longer time, and they were getting CT scans every three months. So a lot of incidental pulmonary embolisms were likely diagnosed with, in these trials just because they were patients were getting CT scans. And I think this was good for the patients because they could promptly start treatment with anticoagulants without those pulmonary embolism becoming, becoming severe. Next slide. Uh, you can see quality of life data favored the combination arm. There was a significant delay in deterioration of quality of life as reported by the patient in the combination therapy versus enzalutamide alone. Next slide. Next slide. Now let's look at the, those 399 patients who had DNA repair defects. So this was a second part of the TALAPRO2 trial, which we just presented in ASCO meeting. Dr. Karim Fizazi uh, was the presenter on the podium, and he showed that, next slide, the demographics were evenly balanced between the two arms. Next slide. There was uh, a remarkable improvement in radiographic progression-free survival with a 55% reduction in risk of progression or death with the combination R. Next slide. All subset of multiple other gene subsets seem to be benefiting. Personally, to me, this was a pleasant surprise that CDK12 patients, and CDK12 is a common mutation. It is, I think, the top three, among the top three most common mutations in this category in our patients. So BRCA2, ATM, and, and uh, CDK12. In this trial, CDK12 seemed to be more common than the ATM mutation. And we can see here that hazard ratio seemed to be quite favorable. There was a 50% reduction in risk of progression or death in the CDK12 mutated patients with a combination R. We also see PALB2 mutation patients to be benefiting. And please note that these are very small subgroups and they were not powered for independent um, analysis. So, but it's good to see that trends were uh, favoring the combination R. Next slide. If you look at the overall survival data, I think this is a pretty strong trend favoring the combination R. Uh, there was a 
with this immature data, we already see a quite a strong trend with a 31% reduction in risk of progression or death, although confidence interval has crossed one. So it's not significant yet. But I have no doubt looking at these trends that we will see significant overall survival benefit, hopefully in the near future with a combination. Next slide. We can see time to PSA progression was 17-month delayed. So it was 28.6 months in the combination arm, 11 months in the control arm. And this tells us another, gives us another message. If you look at 11-month PSA progression free survival with enzalutamide, that tells us how aggressively the disease is behaving in patients with HRR positivity. Just for your quick recollection, the PREVAIL trial, which led to approval of enzalutamide in first-time MCRPC setting, the PFS was 21 months with enzalutamide alone. So this tells us how aggressive disease is in this patient population. Next slide. Time to cytotoxic chemotherapy, time to disease progression. Other th subsequent therapies all favored the combination arm. Next slide. These are the summary of adverse events. There were no cases of MDS or AML. Pulmonary embolism was reported in 2% patients in the combination arm and 1% patient in the enzalutamide arm. And we know that patients who were on the combination arm, they were on treatment for much longer than the enzalutamide arm. Next slide. And i like to actually, if you can, okay, this is good. So in this slide, we can see that 55.6% patients had grade one or two anemia at baseline. This again tells us how aggressive the disease is in MCRPC setting when these patients have HRR mutations. 55.6% have patients have grade one or two anemia. But again, the median duration of onset of anemia was three months. So as long as we can recognize anemia and decrease the dose promptly, only 4% patients discontinue talosoparib due to anemia. So I think prompt recognition, frequent follow-up early on is important in these patients. Next slide. Again, quality of life strongly favored the combination arm in this patient population. Next slide. So please go back to the previous slide. So based on these data, only yesterday, FDA has approved the combination of enzalutamide plus talazoparib for patients with MCRPC with any HRR alterations. So that's a new happening, which happened just uh, less than 24 hours ago. And now our patients have one more combination available as long as they have MCRPC with any HRR mutations. And they did not specify, label doesn't specify line of therapy. So my, my interpretation is anytime I'm using enzalutamide in our patients and they have HRR mutations, we ought to be thinking about the enzalutamide plus talazoprep combination. Next slide. So this story is not going to end here. These combinations are moving to hormone-sensitive setting. Next slide. Uh, as we can see, several new combinations are being tested in combination with lutetium, radium-223, immunotherapy, VEGF-targeted therapies. So I'm sure we'll see mo more data coming up in combination with PARP inhibitors. Next slide. So we'll be asking multiple questions in the future. I'll uh, probably defer these questions to our question-answer session. Next slide. So I want to show you this slide. 
in next one minute and I'll go to question answer session. Many people ask me that uh, most patients have received or have progressed on a normal hormonal therapy by the time they reach MCRPC setting, first line MCRPC setting. And I like to dis respectfully disagree with that because most common way for prostate cancer to present is not de novo metastatic CSPC. Most common way to present is localized prostate cancer. And vast majority of patients are treated with surgery or radiation or both. And then if they are unfortunate to have recurrence of disease, which happen in 30 to 40% patients, they are not treated with NHT. They are treated with intermittent androgen deprivation therapy, which transition to continuous androgen deprivation therapy. And their time comes when PSA starts rising on continuous androgen deprivation therapy. And at that point of time, if you do a conventional scan or PSMA PET scan, you find metastatic disease in vast majority of these patients when they are progressing on PSS progressing on uh, continuous Lupron or continuous androgen deprivation therapy. So M0 CRPC state has literally been replaced by the MCRPC state as identified by PSMA PET scan or conventional scan. And these are the majority of patients leading to MCRPC. We also know that a significant number of patients do not receive NHD in the metastatic CSPC setting. We just showed the data in ASCO meetings. 35 to 40% patients did not, never, had never received any intensified therapy. 10 to 15% patients have received only docetaxel chemotherapy in the last six years. And 35 to 40% patients have received ARPI in the last two or three years. And before that, the use was even low. So based on this, even in this setting, we see a significant, we expect significant number of patients developing MCRPC without disease progression on a NHD. I have several patients who are exceptional responders to ADT plus a NHD, and they are doing well, PS is undetectable, and they decide to take a break from a NHD after being on NHD for three to four years. So when they have disease progression, they remain candidate for treatment with NHD. And anytime they remain candidate for treatment with NHT, they are candidate for treatment with these combinations if they have HRR deficiency. And last group is the locally advanced prostate cancer. A STAMPI trial recently showed that they will benefit with uh, radiation plus ADT plus abiraterone for two years. And most of these patients who receive this intensified ADT for two years for locally advanced prostate cancer in association with radiation therapy they rarely recover PSA. And when they develop PSA recurrence or PSA rise, most of them will have suppressed testosterone. And we do the scan, we'll see metastatic disease. So in my, I would argue that many of the patients will still see, at least for next five to seven years, maybe longer, a lot, lot of patients who are developing MCRPC without disease progression on ANHD. Next slide. We also need to remember that many patients, we lose half of the patients to disease progression when they have disease progression for any line. This is the real world data from Dan George and team published three years ago. And next slide, we updated the data with higher number of patients like 10,000 patients in first line setting, only 5,000 patients received second line therapy, only 2,400 patients received third line therapy. So if we have therapy available upfront, we should be using it. So intensification helps, whether it is metastatic hormone sensitive setting 
or it is metastatic CRPC setting, intensification of ADT helps. Because if you do not intensify and leave a particular drug to second or third line setting, we lose our patients to disease. With that, I will open the forum to question and answer. Thank you very much. Next slide, please. So Anne's first question is, should we offer PARP inhibitor to those patients with MCRPC with BRCA1 and BRCA2 alterations only? Answer is likely not, because only yesterday, FDA has approved enzalutamide plus uh, talazoparib for patients with MCRPC with multiple other HRR mutations. So we have that option available. So answer is no. Yes, we should be offering BRCA1 and BRCA2 positive patients, these are combinations, but now we saw that many other patients could be eligible. Next question is, should PARP in combination with novel hormonal therapy be offered in men with uh, first-line MCRPC setting regardless of HRR mutations? We don't have the approval for HRR negative patients. So if we have approval down the line, we'll discuss that, but for now we don't have the approval. Uh, third question, should PARP inhibitor in combination with NHT be offered in first-line MCRPC setting regardless of prior receipt of NHT in the first line, in the MCSPC setting? This is a brilliant question. When you say receipt, what do you mean by receipt? If patients, unless patients have not progressed on a NHT, what we do in our practice? So if I see an MCRPC patient who is progressing, PSA is rising, after having received abiraterone for two years in the context of radiation therapy and ADT for locally advanced prostate cancer, and three years after patient is progressing, PSA is rising, shouldn't I, shouldn't we be offering them abiraterone or enzalutamide? Answer is we should be, because they have not really progressed on an NHT. So answer is yes, as long as they have not progressed on an NHT, we can offer the combination. We, we can even argue that many patients discontinue first NHT for side effects. Uh, one NHT can be discontinued because of hypertension or hyperkalemia without disease progression. Will I not be using enzalutamide for those patients? Yes, I'll be using enzalutamide. If my patient who enrolled on Titan trial, we conducted Titan trial and reported the results for four years ago now, and many patients, please remember, 67% patients will achieve a PSF 0.2, and their median survival is close to six to seven years. Many patients don't want, may not want to continue the NHT for entire duration of five to six years. Many will take a break after three years or four years. Although we don't have data, but that's happening in real world. So when they have disease progression, wouldn't you offer another NHT? Answer is yes, I will. So my take is very simple on this when you should offer this combination. As long as patients have BRCA1 and BRCA2 mutation for the abiraterone-based combination, or as long as they have any HRR mutation in first-line MCRPC, and you are contemplating using enzalutamide, you can use talazoparib in those patients who have HRR mutations. So similarly, if I'm using abiraterone in the first-line MCRPC setting, and the patient have BRCA1 and BRCA2 mutation, I should be strongly considering adding Olaparib to abiraterone combination, abiraterone backbone. So I'll keep it simple. If you are going to use enzalutamide in MCRPC setting, in a patient who have homologous recombination repair deficiency, I'll strongly consider adding talazoparib. Next slide, uh, sorry, next question. 
given the potential of marotoxicity, should there, should there be a fixed duration of treatment with PARP inhibitor? who continue to respond to PARP inhibitor? Answer is, we don't have the data to limit the duration of PARP inhibitor. Like we don't have the data to limit the duration of immune checkpoint inhibitors yet. But we all use our medical judgment. We discuss with the patient. Uh, we go with patient's wishes. So I think on an ad hoc basis, we can consider that, but we shouldn't be doing this on a regular basis because the disease is quite aggressive in these patients and they should be treated aggressively. Next question. Do you have any more questions? I think with that, I think we still have five minutes. Oh, there are two more questions, sorry. Based on the current emerging evidence supporting a combined approach with PARP inhibitor, can you provide a top-line summary of the most impactful clinical activity takeaway and differentiating factors among these combination trials? This is a great question, and I will summarize this in the following manner. So first of all, as I said, Anyone in the first-line MCRPC setting where we are contemplating using abiraterone or telazop or enzalutamide and the patients have HRR mutations for the telazoparib combination or BRCA1 and BRCA2 for the abiraterone-based combination, we should strongly consider this combination. Now, what is my experience? My experience is these patients will require frequent monitoring for the laboratory data. They can do the labs locally. They don't have to come to the cancer center. And if not all patients will develop grade 3-4 anemia or hematologic toxicity. So if they develop grade 3-4 anemia, reduce the dose by one dose, and they will do fine. The dose discontinuation because of hematologic toxicity is extremely uncommon. Less than 10% patients have to discontinue. The dose intensity is very common with PARP inhibitors. So we should never decrease the dose upfront until there are contraindications to full dosing and I cannot think of many, we have to start the patient with full dose, monitor them closely, and reduce the dose. I send every patient with anti-nausea medicines when I prescribe them PARP inhibitors. Nausea and vomiting are best prevented than controlled, than treated. Once nausea cycle starts, patient, have, patient cannot take the pill. If they take the pill, they have vomiting. They cannot keep down the pills. So I think the best ways to prevent nausea even with grade one nausea, we should be very aggressive with the anti-nausea medications. Other than that, I will refrain from comparing these trials head to head because they are different patient population. But I think I was, I hope I was able to show you how convincing the data, is, data are favoring the combination in HRR positive patients. When we saw in the TALA-PRO2 trial, there was a 17 month delay in PSA progression on a baseline of 11 months uh, with enzalutamide alone, that's quite meaningful to our patients. Or we saw with the abiraterone-niraparib combination in BRCA2, BRCA1 patients, the data are very compelling. So I think we should be keeping in mind that whenever we are starting abiraterone or enzalutamide in those patients in MCRPC setting where they have these mutations, we should strongly consider the combination R. Please do not leave it to next line or third line setting because we lose half of the patients when they have disease progression. And when uh, next question, are you all concerned about potential for cumulative toxicities when looking at combined modality treatment? Every drug has toxicity. Every combination has toxicity. Surgery and radiation have toxicities. But we are dealing with a lethal disease. We are dealing with a disease which is a median overall survival in the enzalutamide arm is still hovering around 35, 36 months. 
despite all the recent developments. And a progressive disease has more side effects than all medicines combined together. So enzalutamide, telazoprid combination together cannot, cannot match the toxicity of a progressive prostate cancer. So when we are talking about life and death, I would say, yes, I'm worried about toxicity, but I will be aggressive in managing those toxicity and not, and will try my best, my most emphasis or focus is on controlling the disease. What message would you give to community oncologists about the treatment of MCRPC with PARP inhibitor combination strategies? I would say again, the same message, anyone, where any patient where you are contemplating using abiratinone or enzalutamide in a metastatic CRPC setting, I think we should be strongly considering the PARP inhibitor combinations if they have underlying mutations for which those PARP inhibitors are approved. Please do not leave it to second or third line setting, or in my view, that is my practice. I won't let, if I have a drug available, intensification regimen available upfront, I will use intensification regimen. I will not leave it to third or fourth line setting because we know intensification works from metastatic hormone sensitive setting. We know now that intensification work with metastatic CRPC setting and we lose half of the patients every time disease progress. So let's not worry about leaving the drug to the third or fourth line setting. And that's my message for you today. Thank you so much for your kind attention. You've been listening to a replay of a live broadcast titled Understanding the Biological and Clinical Rationale for PARP Inhibitor Combinations as Potential Treatment for Prostate Cancer. This activity was provided by Axis Medical Education and is supported by an independent medical education grant from Janssen Biotech Incorporated, administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs, LLC. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com CME. This is CME on ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge.